This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. Every week we will bring you content about making disciples. As an organization, we bring together other like-minded organizations who are focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. And this podcast aims at doing just that. That's also why we host the National Disciple Making Forum every year. We know that it's life-on-life interactions with other disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit that produces change so we can all become more like Jesus. Make sure to register for the next National Disciple Making Forum at discipleship.org so you can get in person the kind of content you hear on this podcast. Go to discipleship.org to reserve your seat now. Today we're featuring an episode from Small Circle called Creating a Disciple-Making Culture with Everyday People, featuring Steve McCoy and Gilbert Thurston. Here's today's featured episode. Hey, my name is Steve McCoy, and um, I'm a lead pastor at a church that uh, we planted about 13 years ago. And uh, I'm joined today by Gilbert Thurston, who is uh, also a... Uh, a church planter, planted a church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, we're here to talk about uh, small circle tools, and uh, we're so glad that you joined us. We hope this is going to be meaningful to you and challenging to you, and uh, I want to pray, and then we'll jump right in. We're going to fly light lightning. Father, we're grateful for this organization, discipleship.org, and for the many, many men and women who have, have poured out their lives and now are willing to come and share. So, Father, we, uh, we remember that you've asked us to, to love you, uh, but not just a broad command, but to love like you have loved and to love you with our heart and all of it and our mind and all of it and our soul and all of it and our strength and all of it. So, God, uh, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would lead us to be focused, uncluttered, uh, there's so many layers going on always at a conference. So, Father, we put ourselves, our minds, our hearts, our attention uh, at your feet and pray, God, that you would allow us to, to hear what exactly you've designed us to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, each session, I recognize that we're always going to have people from the, that you were at each session. I've been in a, a conference attendee for many years. And I typically, uh, being a little bit of a type A, I, uh, I don't know if you can be a little bit of a type A. Okay, I'm type A. So, uh, you know, in the hotel room, I've scoped out the entire day. So I recognize that uh, many of you maybe have, uh, were in another session for the first workshop. Let me give you a, just, I'm going to give you a 120-second uh, upload from our last uh, session. Uh, we looked at the, the circles in our church culture um, and... Very typically, this is how the operating system looks in our church culture. Uh, by the way, we do champion one another uh, at, at this in this team, the discipleship.org team. And so um, th- this model is something that our church embraces too. This represents, the big circle represents collective worship of some type. That means uh, our weekend worship services for most of us. This mid-sized circle represents uh, groups of some kind. That means Bible studies, adult Sunday school, small groups, whatever that may look for, uh, look like in your setting. 
uh, as I've traveled in many places in the world, I will say, hey, show of hands, by design, not organically, but by design, is this the typical model that you have in your churches? And 98% of the people say, yes, that's my design. I want to emphasize very strongly, nothing wrong with this design. In fact, it's a beautiful design. In fact, Jesus used this design, preaching to the crowds, breaking things down in, in a group. The proposal that we make is that there, if we look at the results of, uh, of the, this model that we've been taught in the U.S., especially from the teaching churches, which we're very thankful for, the Willow Creeks, the Saddlebacks, etc., of, of the world, this has been, this has been their model. The proposal is that there is a, another dimension to complement these, not instead of. There's something distinctively beautiful that happens in collective worship and hearing the Word of God preach. There's something that happens beautifully here in community, but there is something very customized that happens here in this circle. These are the conversations between Jesus and Nicodemus, between Jesus and Zacchaeus, between Jesus and Martha, between Jesus and Peter. These are the conversations that are not meant for anybody else but that one single person. And so this is this is small circle. We looked in our last session of how we are scientifically designed for this circle. This is the circle that Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17, verse 20, 21. Father, I pray that they will be one. We often interpret that as we're all Christians and nobody's criticizing one another in kind of this broad uh, unity. But he says, I pray that there'll be one, Father, just as you and I are one. This deeper David-Jonathan connection. Because scientifically, we obviously don't have the time to get into all of it, but scientifically, our neurons, our brain, everything in us, we've been designed in a relational image. Genesis chapter 1, at a very deep image. John chapter 1, verse 18, that no one has ever seen God except the only begotten who was in the bosom of the Father. That's that intimacy that, that we've been created for. So this session is, how do we get everyday people into that very profound level of discipleship? Because um, in our cultures, we talked about last uh, session, uh, in 2016, the Surgeon General of the United States declared the greatest risk to human health for Americans was not heart disease, it was not cancer. Anyone know what it was? Loneliness. Loneliness. Loneliness, let's say. Uh, one statistic says that uh, 93% of American men have no best friend. Uh, I read an article just two weeks ago that says 45% of Americans have not formed this kind of a relationship in the last five years. So we are facing a crisis. So now the, 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 uh, uh, the challenge that we have then as leaders is like, you can't force people into that. How do you invite them and how do you walk them through? So we're going to look at our tools today and, how, and, and why we have tools and why we don't have tools. And so um, the beauty and the curse of a conference, as I said last time, is that you're going to, everybody walks away with just layers of things. And, and my prayer is always, God, help us filter out to, to the thing that you've distinctively moved me and called me and assigned me to take back to my ministry and my organization. So we'll pray for that. Um, so when you look at tools, I want to be very honest from the very beginning um, that there's a downside of tools. We know that because some people are really super organic in their discipleship. I admire those people, um, but it does not represent the bulk 
of your congregation. If we think it can just kind of flow out and everybody, I'm going to tell you that most people do not feel adequate enough because we have created inadvertently an expert culture in the church. There's the expert up front. There's the expert in my group. They know the Bible more than I do. And boy, I could never be that in my wildest dreams. Uh, not only that, we've cut out this beautiful 50% of, the, uh, of our human population. They're called introverts. And I'm one of them. And so for me, to, to you just came up to me and said, hey, go make disciples. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, but it's, I'm going to be a little bit uh, red. I'm going to write four words on the board. Uh, the first one is mystery. The next one is heuristic. The next one is algorithm. And the, the final one is code. Let me explain what this means. Mystery is like, man, we got a problem. How do we figure it out? Wow, 93% of American men don't have a best friend. Wow, how, what are we going to do about that? Then heuristic is the, the person that comes along and says, hey, i got an idea. It's just a really broad idea. I live in this world. I'm, a, I, I'm an INFJ, so I, I'm a, I, I love ideas. Are we, are we ever going to do anything with the idea? Not until I get my next idea. You know how that rolls out. So this is the idea guy. This is the guy that says, hey, wait a minute. I think I can take that idea, and I'm starting to see how it can work. But this last one is the important one. So let me give you a, a, a real example. So... Um, so Gilbert and I say, man, we have got to get healthy, dude. We are just eating Chick-fil-A three times a day, and you know, we've got, we got we to get healthy. What are we going to do? It's a mystery. So then Gilbert says, hey, i got an idea. There's that health food restaurant that we drive by every day and make fun of on the way to work, and uh, we, let's just go in there and see if there's something we can stomach. And we'll go in and, and we'll go. So we, we go to the restaurant. So that's the idea. We're going to go to a health food restaurant, see if there's anything there. Then we get to the restaurant. We have this kale salad. And, um, and we start eating. And we're like, you know what? This is pretty good. I, let's ask the server. Hey, what's the, al- <laughs> what's the algorithm in this thing? What, what's in this thing? And she goes, oh, there's lemon juice, olive oil, there's roasted peppers and uh, kale and... and um, Chick-fil-A chicken in a box. <laughs> so, so we're like, man, that's cool. We, we've seen all that stuff in the grocery store. Let's go home and make it. There's a problem. We can't make it yet. Why? We don't have the recipe. That's the code. The code is the thing that you put in people's hand so that they can actually do the thing that you had the big idea about. My challenge often with conferences and I'm not talking about this one. I'm not talking about this one. Um, is that we often go back, and there's a lot of this, right? We have big ideas, et cetera. But I want to walk back with something that we can say, how do we tackle this big problem that we have, and how can we get around that? That's the purpose of tools, in, in my opinion. The other thing I would say for you to, to you is that we are trying to create, big word here, a culture of discipleship, a culture of discipleship in our local churches. What does that mean? That means it's not just the leaders doing it. I would even say it's not just the super seasoned people, the Yodas of the of your local church, because we all have them, who just organically and naturally pull it off. I'm talking about soccer mom Sally, or driver Ted. We're we're at that level. Those 
those folks, I'll count myself on those folks, although I'm a leader, so it probably disqualifies me. They need tools. They need a code. They need a recipe so that they can go. And when you begin to put a recipe in their hand and they start cooking, then there's a, there's a possibility of a culture. In our church, we have uh, about 130-ish uh, people in one-to-one discipleship. It's not common. Uh, and the range is not common either. Uh, the youngest disciple is 16. The oldest disciple maker is 91. Mm-hmm. Happens to be my mom. Mm-hmm. She's on her her third disciple. So we we so we're creating a culture. Planted the church as an experiment. Could we actually have a church that had a culture of one to one discipleship? That doesn't represent everyone. So. For everyone, we've probably had a couple of hundred people come through and they've moved on and done, done all that. So uh, the downside of having tools is pretty simple. Academic, dry, not relational, you know, step-by-step, Sunday schoolish. I mean, it, it's all those things where we're, that, that we kind of like, yeah, I don't know about tools. So we're going to show you uh, a couple of the ways, and our next session is really focusing on the ways, how do we get beyond information transfer? That's a big deal in discipleship. So um, we have seen some. I've been a pastor. I've been in ministry for nearly 40 years. And so uh, the last six years, we have run discipleship uh, and at a one-to-one level with the, the tools. And I will tell you, hands down, I have not seen such relational depth or life change as we have in the last half dozen years. Not only that, that, that we're seeing it around the world that we're seeing pastors and leaders hungry for, for tools that will be tangible ways that they can actually make disciples and make disciples who make disciples. Um, so Gilbert is here uh, because we met, I don't know, two or three years ago in a training that did in his, in his uh, church and his region. And uh, he has with him here at the conference three guys, two guys that he's discipled through the tools and one guy that's being discipled by the guy that he discipled. So the culture is beginning to, to um, expand. Our tools are in uh, 60 uh, countries and 20 languages plus and blah, blah, blah. But my point is, this is a global crisis. I thought the whole small circle thing with men not having best friends and all that was an American phenomenon because we're moving so fast, big box store and all that. It truly isn't. It is truly a global problem in Africa and Europe and Eastern Europe and Asia it is a global problem here's the benefits of a, of a tool uh, of using a tool and, and I would say hey if you don't use a tool use a tool uh, for most people if you're, if you're gifted and doing organic discipleship good on you but I'm, I'm being honest with you I don't think you'll be able to create a culture uh, just in general I think it's tough for the average fan uh, here's some of the upsides of using tools. First of all, you avoid what I call the Swiss cheese effect. The Swiss cheese effect. So the Swiss cheese effect um, is um, that, like we had a guy in our church, super organic um, disciple maker, just naturally poured into people, but man, was he a John Eldridge fan. Nothing wrong with John, I like his you know, wild at heart and all that, but that's, that was a one-trick pony. That's all we talked about was finding the masculine journey. Well, how about the Holy Spirit? How about salvation? How about religion? Nope, it's, it's all that. So if we don't use tools generally, we'll have one or two or three or four topics that we do. There's a comprehensiveness that, that I think happens with, with the tools. Second of all, we've talked about it. 
Um, only pockets of people will do discipleship without some kind of tool in their hand. So it becomes very sporadic. Um, number three, I touched on it as well. Introverts will tend probably not to. To get to this relationship in most small groups, an introvert won't. So it empowers them. We have seen uh, the most shyest, most bashful people. Uh, an introvert doesn't always mean you're shy and bashful, but people that wouldn't naturally stand out. If you put them to lead three, or three other people, they would say, man, I just can't do that. With a one-to-one level, with some tools in their hands, man, they come alive. And some of them come alive in an amazing, uh, powerful way. Uh, I would say there's less replication. Our replication route, uh, uh, rate, and we're just like a you know typical church, I mean, super-sized megachurch or anything, our replication rate is about 80%. What I mean by that is that disciples going through and now becoming disciple-makers. So we're at about an 80% rate, which is, we, we see that as really strong. Uh, I think that's important. Um, finally, I would say that it's uh, sometimes more difficult to measure wins. Uh, without tools, I think it's I think it's really important to be able to, to say, hey, we've made it this far. Let's talk about it, etc. Okay. So, if we were to have tools, uh, what would they look like? So, generally, before we say, we're going to show you some of the tools, but uh, but what would they look like? So I'm gonna so I'm gonna uh, pull uh, Gilbert in. Well, thanks, Steve, and uh, thanks for coming out here and being a part of the the forum. Uh, I understand it's not a conference; we are at a forum here uh, this week. Steve wanted me to talk to you at this first part about, all right, what would a a good tool look like? And instead of me getting into that, let me tell you just a little bit of my story of why I needed a tool. I've been a pastor now about for 20 years and had uh, been the associate pastor at two different churches. Then I had a four-year stint. I actually worked for Rick Warren and Purpose Driven Ministries. I was their national trainer, and I traveled all over the United States and Canada, trained 10,000 churches, 30,000 church leaders, and the sort of the purpose-driven model. And then nine years ago, God called me to plant a church, and I had swore I'd never be a church planner, and I never wanted to be a senior pastor, but when it's God telling you to do it, you do it, right? And so I'd never been to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania before, but that's where he called us to go. And so we ended up there nine years ago, and I was like, oh, you know, how hard could this be? You know, I had seen it done before, and I had worked for, you know, a big, big church, and I know how to do this. I'm an evangelist at heart, but I know that we're not called to make converts. We're called to make Disciples, right. So I can do this really, really good. And I thought, well, as long as we have this, then our converts will become disciples. Again, Steve said, that's the model that we've seen. Sunday mornings, and then get people involved in a Sunday school class. Get them involved in a midweek Bible study. Get them involved in a life group or small group, whatever. And they will be discipled. What I discovered a couple years into the process was, we had a church full of people, and they really weren't changing all that much. And I was like, well, it can't be my preaching, because that's really good, right? <laughs> and I really got convicted that something has to change, and it's probably going to have to start with me. That I have to switch out of this model. And I didn't even know that there was a third circle at the time, but there's got to be something, something else. And we need to have a more personalized discipleship type of process. So I pulled together a a couple, Mike and Teresa, husband and wife. Mike's a stay-at-home dad. Teresa's a a nurse. 
And I said, I want to take you through a, a discipleship tool. And I won't even tell you what it was and where I got it and that type of thing. But I took them through it. It was about six months. And they really grew. They got a lot out of it. They were discipled through it. And at the end, I said, all right, could, can you take this now and do it? And they're like, no. I was like, why? They're like, it was just so much that there's no way we could give away all that information that you gave. And so what would be valuable as a tool for you is something that, what do you call them, uh, soccer mom Sally and truck driver Ted, right? <laughs> something that they could do, that you could give them a tool and say, you can do this. So that, that would be valuable, right? How many would say that? That'd be valuable if everybody in my church, whether they're, they have a GED or a PhD, everybody in my church could do it no matter you know, who they are. That'd be a valuable tool, right? Uh, so that was a, a thing for me that I got to find something. And so Steve and I, I think it's been about three, two and a half, three years ago, we, we came across one another. I discovered this small circle. This one-on-one that is a tool that anybody can do. And so I took a couple guys individually, started taking them through. Bruce operates a train. He's, you know, that must be a fun job, right, to <laughs> do the train. Steve drives a truck for uh, Pepsi. And they both had a hunger, and they, they wanted to grow. They just weren't sure how. And I said, look, let me take you guys each separately through this tool, and let's see how it goes. And you know what was so cool? It was about halfway through. They both had grown so much that they're like, oh, I know so-and-so at the church. They need to go through this. And they are already themselves self-identifying that I need to be a disciple maker. I hadn't even gotten to the, that we actually have in the tool itself why you should be a disciple maker and how to discover who your disciple should be. They had already figured that out all by themselves. And so as Steve mentioned earlier, Steve now is discipling Jim and Jim's along on this trip as well. And what we're seeing is now multiple generations and my wife, uh, the girl that she's going through a uh, small circle with right now, they're about ready to wrap up, and Kristen is now ready to go through. And actually, I'm personally discipling Kristen's husband, Levi. And so it's one of those things that, yes, I had to get it started as a leader, but don't you want a thing that you as church leaders, that you can sort of get it started, and then it just sort of starts to multiply itself, it takes off. Are we talking about, how much are we talking about multiplication? Are we doing that somewhere? Let, let me real quick do something I do with, with people. Uh, if I said to you, what, what's your name here? Chris. Chris. Chris, if I said, Chris, you are responsible personally to disciple 1,000 people in the next 10 years. You go, mm, yeah. and especially, again, think of a lay person in your church. You go to them and say, you are personally responsible for 1,000 people. They're like, I got a job. I got my kids. I've got you know, hobbies. I got all kinds of other things. There's no way. But let's do the math on it real quick. If you disciple somebody who will disciple somebody who will disciple somebody, multiplication. 1 is 2, 2 is 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1,028. That's 10 years. One person committing to disciple one person who will then disciple one person who will 1,028. And I was just beating myself up with this. And part of it is I'm a microwave personality. I like things to happen like right now. This is a little bit more crock pot, but you know what's happening? Wives are coming up to me of these guys I'm discipling going, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. Because how he's handling things right now in our house is completely different. 
He's changed. And again, I'm using some of the stories of, of me personally, but this is throughout our church now of average, everyday people, lay people, discipling people, disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. So if you were to have a tool, that's the type of tool that you would want to have. Something very, very simple. And that's what this is. Also, you would want your tool to tackle real-life uh, issues. Remember, we're not to just get information. It's, this, it's about transformation. We're not going to stand before God uh, someday and he say, so in the, in the grand scheme of life, the test of life, what did you put in the blank for number one? And what did you put it? You're not going to have a theological quiz that you're given. It's all about a relationship with him. But remember, it's also about this relationship with others. And so as we sit one-on-one with our disciple, we want to talk about real-world issues. What's going on at home? How are you doing on your job? Actually, as we were eating our Chick-fil-A here today in the, in the hallway with my guys and stuff, you know, we were talking about it. I was like, look, life is not about raises, bonuses, promotions, cars, you know, getting your kids on the right soccer team. That's not what life is about. We're all full-time ministers of the gospel of Christ. Now, one of you happens to get paid to drive a train, and one of you happens to get paid to drive a truck, the other one's self-employed. But we're all full-time ministers, so we got to talk about vocationally. How does the gospel intersect with our job? How does it intersect with our family life? How does it intersect with politics and the things of the world? And so you want tools that are going to help people to process these things. Don't you know right now, people have a lot of questions about what's going on. And we want to have a tool that that helps with that. Uh, You want it to be customized, and that's one of the the beauties of this particular tool that Steve developed. And thank you again uh, for developing it. Um, Obviously, help the spirit, but... Somebody had to do it, and he chose you, so thank you. Um, you would want it to be, be customizable. No two people are alike. No two discipleship processes are going to look alike. And so the, the beauty of one-on-one, let, let's say that this first row here, we're, we're all in a life group together. All right, what's your name? Nadine. Nadine? Yeah. Right. Nadine's our, our leader. And she does a phenomenal thing in our life group, this great teaching on something. And everybody else in the row here gets it. Gilbert, the big dummy, he didn't get it. Nadine has a decision to make the next week now. Does she keep pressing on? Because we got to get through our book, our curriculum that we're going through. And that, that leaves Gilbert behind. Or does she slow down so Gilbert can catch up? Which these, these look like very nice folks here on the front row. <laughs> You know, for the first week, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we can slow down for Gilbert. We love him. You know, let's serve him in that way. But Gilbert's really dumb. (laughs) Six weeks, eight weeks, Gilbert still hasn't gotten it. They're getting bored. And they're like, why can't we go on to the next lesson? The the beauty of one-on-one is there is no pressure to go on to the next lesson. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about the tool here in, in just a bit, but it's 24 uh, lessons all together that could be done in a 48-week uh, thing, 11 months. I tell people if you got it done in uh, 11 months, then they probably didn't need to be discipled because there's going to be those times you need to slow down and customize it and say, hey, let's not go into the next one. Let's, let's camp out here. Let's read a book on this topic. Let's really get into that. And so customizable is a, a huge thing. And if you're here for the last uh, session, Steve talked about that. Nicodemus, Martha, Peter, Thomas. It was all these one-on-one conversations. What one heard isn't what the other one needed to hear. And that's the beauty 
of it. So Steve's going to come back in. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, thank you. So um, one of the things we wanted to, to fight against information transfer is to say how do human beings uh, uh, absorb and how do they remember? So we look at the, what the educators have, have taught us, and some people say, well, I'm not sure this is true, but I think by experience it is. Um, we remember 10% of what we read. Uh, we remember 20% of what we hear. Now, this is super discouraging for every preacher in the room. Because uh, <laughs> right. you thought that sermon preached last week was so amazing, um, but it, uh, they've forgotten 8 out of 10 things that you, uh, that you said last week. We remember 30% of what we see. We remember 50% of what we see and hear. And this is where it gets good. We remember 70% of what we personally discuss with one other person, not a group. Let me hold up here for just a second and talk about technology. So I'm getting ready to do some writing. We've been researching technology, its effects, and there's a lot of great books on the market these days about that. But the generation that grew up with technology, I've got two teenage uh, boys at home. Uh, they, they had their first iPhone at an embarrassingly young age. And um, the, the, uh, the, let's say you're 30 years and younger. Um, it's becoming increasingly difficult for them to have a one-to-one conversation. Technology allows us to craft and post. We craft, we delete, we type, we... Nah, and then we post. Then the next person, the recipient of that text, has time to process, time to think about what's going to be said. I'm going to say that. I'm going to. I'm not sure. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Oh, that's good. That looks pretty. It's Photoshop, and I post. And it goes back and forth. Have you ever been in a conversation when you're texting someone? And the conversation gets just a little edgy. Somebody said something, and then the other person just disappears. Because <laughs> they're like, well, I'm not getting into that. And right, they disappear. So our technology has allowed us to position ourselves where we're crafting and posting. All right? So watch this. There are circles. We're in a small group. There's 12 people in this group. Uh, I'm sitting in this group, and there's something that comes up that's a little bit tough, a little tough conversation. He goes, I'm thinking. He, she goes, I'm thinking. He goes, I'm thinking. Goes, think. Goes, think. Goes, post. I've crafted. Mentally, I've crafted. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I think is safe to say. Here's probably what I'm not going to say. And then I post. In a one-to-one conversation that you that you are talking, you can't go anywhere, and you'll have any time to craft. And there's something different at a table for two when you're having a conversation. We've got to get back to a table for two. There's something that happens. So we personally discussed. Let me just give you a statistic. Anybody know what the statistic... Let's talk about tithing first. That's a popular topic. That's uh, a happy, happy subject. Um, uh, there's a joy in giving, right? And yes. Jesus says it's a heart issue. It's a never a financial issue. So let's say we just use kind of a standard definition. we got ten apples. I'm going to give back to God one. I never give him one. I give back to him because they were his to begin with, right? So I'm going to give. I'm going to return the apples. What percentage of American evangelicals are willing to give back 
one apple. Anybody know what the statistic is? What? Two or three percent? Yeah, no, it's, you're right. It's in that range. It's about, so let's just, let's be generous. It's three to five percent. Um, so three to five percent are going to, let's say, with a standard definition of tithe, of American evangelicals, okay, are willing to give back to God. So the problem with that is that we, we speak about it here in the big circle. No one has an opportunity to say, you know what, I'd like to challenge that. I thought that was an Old Testament thing. Or like, are you kidding me? Is it you know, gross or is it uh, <laughs> Even in a group, that becomes an uncomfortable conversation, especially if you're not participating in tithing, right? I don't want to be guilty by like raising my hand and asking about in, in many settings, not across the board. But here, in this conversation, because we talk about this in our tools, because it's a heart issue, it's a huge heart issue, it's a cancerous issue in our church culture. As the richest country in the world, when I'm in other countries, other continents, they gasp when I tell them that gas because they think that you know we are a country of abundance which we are in our church we took a survey um, an, an anonymous survey 60% of our church we're a church of about 700 750 something like that we took an anonymous survey after three years of discipleship in our church and I wanted to find out the reason for the the, the, the uh, survey I wanted to find out and honestly people could answer honestly was discipleship making any difference at, at all? If it weren't, I'm like, hey, let's just do something. Let's try another swing at it, right? So one of the questions, we ask about prayer. We ask about sharing the faith. You know, the, the average number of minutes an American evangelical spends in prayer is two minutes a day. The average number of minutes a pastor of an evangelical church uh, spends in time in prayer is five minutes a day. There's a crisis. The number, the percentage of, of, of people who have discipled someone else, Paul to Timothy, 1% of American evangelicals. So when you begin to look at the results, like, man, these are not great results. I wanted to see if discipleship was making any difference. Uh, we're not a wealthy church. We don't, you know, it's just kind of an everyday average church. So I thought, man, if we could take, let's say, 3%, and, man, what if it were 6% of our people after being discipled had a heart to give back, wouldn't that be that'd be amazing? Not a financial thing. Our church is not in debt, never been in debt. We're in a warehouse, an old beat-up warehouse, so that wasn't the issue. What would happen if we quadrupled that and be 12%? Man, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? So we took the survey, 3, 7, 37%. Wow. Nice. Very good. You know why I get excited about that? Because of the new cars. <laughs> I have a beat up five. That's what I have. Um, it's about the heart. Like, wow, there's measurables of the heart. That's super cool. And you know what the secret is? I was I was in a church, five thousand member church, worked for eleven years. The best preaching and teaching I've ever been. You know what the percentage of tithers were in our church? Three to five percent. Why? Because we thought we could reach their hearts from the pulpit. And you can't. We don't even pass an offering plate. I got boxes bolted up against the wall. Do you want to give back to God? I never say give to God. Want to give back to God? Those boxes are there. I hope you guys have a great week. And that's the end of that. Because we talk about it in the small circle, where people can grapple and wrestle and say, "Man, let's dig it. Let's let's stop." Like Gilbert said, "Let's just stop here. Let's talk about it again. Let's look at a different angle. Look at David's joy when he prayed, God." Everything of going into this temple, all the all the stuff we got at Home Depot, man, 
it, it came from you. And you know, that attitude, it can change the hearts of people at that level. When you personally discuss, 80% of what we personally experience, this is our next session, this is exactly, this is the whole thing. We're going to talk about labs. We have lab sessions, real life sessions that, that happen here. In other words, we remember things that we felt. In my background as a musician, I was studying to be a concert pianist at a real high-level school in Boston when, I, when Christ intercepted my, my ambition, my journey. And uh, so I, I uh, practiced eight hours a day, uh, seven days a week, 364 days a year. I took Christmas Day off. I did it for 10 years. People will say, are you good? Uh, were you good? I'm like, if you did basket weaving for that much, you'd be a great basket weaver. <laughs> um, when I was 19, I was uh, full of myself. I was good at what I did. I got hired by a, a big leader. It was a major Christmas production. A huge choir, full orchestra. As a 19-year-old, it was unheard of that I'd get hired for a gig like that. I got hired... I looked at the music, I don't, need, I don't need to practice this, I showed up to the rehearsal, the, the conductor was quite firm, he did, had no icing on his pound cake, and uh, so we're rehearsing, probably 300 musicians, high level musicians, he stops the rehearsal, and when he stopped, everybody stopped, you could hear a pin drop, he looked over at the piano and said, Steve, did you prep for this rehearsal? I could feel all the blood rushing on my head. I said, no, sir, I did not. He goes, that's exactly what I thought. You're fired. Okay, let's pick it up and measure 13. And it went just like that. I was humiliated. Guess what? Never the rest of my music career did I ever show up unprepared. Ever. And I didn't learn it in a book. When Peter uh, was asked to step out of the boat, on the last day that he was alive on the planet, someone said, Hey, Pete, you remember that night on the, on, the, on the sea? Do you think in your wildest dreams you go, Hmm, I don't see ropes going on. No, kind of slipped my mind. I'm way down. Right? <laughs> 95% we remember and absorb. Anybody have an idea? Teach you what, we what we teach somebody else. Now, what do you think the. What do you think the uh, power of discipleship is? Here's what I didn't see coming. I thought we were going to do discipleship in our church because those disciples really mean it, which they do. But it was the disciple makers that blew my mind. My mom is 91. A year ago in February, they gave her one year, uh, a few weeks to live. Her, her kidney was full of cancer. She was 90 years old at the time. She, um, she was discipling her third disciple. My mom has mastered the mid-circle. Mastered it. She, I literally buy her something like the David Jeremiah Commentary Bible. And that's her Christmas gift every year because she loves it. She will read literally every page in that book. And then I just get another one for Christmas. It's super easy to buy a Christmas gift. <laughs> She's a Bible studier. Loves studying the Bible. Nothing wrong with studying the Bible, obviously. But in the last three to four years, she's done small circle in addition to her Bible studies. I ask her, what's the difference? She goes, there is no difference. I feel like I'm in the game. 
all that she has learned and absorbed. And I led my mom to go to a Billy Graham crusade with me after a month after I got saved and she gave her heart to Christ. So we've been walking together for all these years spiritually. I have seen her grow so much in the last few years. The doctors gave her a few weeks to live. Uh, my brother and I, who's also a pastor, broke the news and said, hey, Mom, here's, here's the hard news. Um, and she goes, uh, you know, she absorbed it. And we said, well, there is one option. You can re- have your kidney removed. She goes, oh, great, I'll do that. No hesitation. Great, I'll do that. And uh, we said, well, not so fast. They said the survival rate for your age is not high. Not a problem. We're going to give it a shot. <laughs> Surprising. We said, okay, one more thing. The recovery for a 90-year-old will take about three times as long as someone that's younger. Not a problem. Let's do it. So we were like, I'm not sure you're getting the clear. <laughs> so we said, Mom, you want to pray about this? No, don't have to. We said, so we have to ask you, why no hesitation? You know what she said? I'm not finished with my disciple. This doesn't happen in a Bible study. Sorry, it just doesn't. Because the disciple maker and the pouring out is a huge thing. So, watch this. We Wouldn't we want our tools to focus on that? Let's customize it, like Gilman said, to a personal discussion. Let's make sure we're personally feeling things. So, again, our next session is all about that. Every session has a lab. One is in a, one is in a busy cafe. One is in a cemetery, a funeral uh, parlor. One is uh, writing letters. One, I mean, they're, they're things that people can feel so they can remember. That's the jazz uh, of our tools. And, of course, they teach each other. Um, quickly, let me say this. I'm going to hand it back to Gilbert. We'd also, want, when, we, when I wrote the tools, I wanted to say, okay, here's Joe, the disciple, just came to Christ. Here's his journey. Here's what he looks like. We begin with the end in mind. So if you're going to be an engineer and build buildings, we need to say, okay, this is what you would need to know, and we're going to build the tools back from that. It's going to be reverse engineering. So basically, we would want to say, to avoid the, the, um, you know, the Swiss cheese effect, we would want to have a solid ground of beliefs, which is becoming weaker and weaker in our, our culture. Um, we would want a, just a selfless relationship with God. We would want to have a small circle, a vulnerable relationship with others, and we'd, we'd, we uh, would want to have them a multiplier. So all of our tools take each of these on, each of these sections on. So, um, so yeah, so let's, like, we're going to hand out the tools. Um, you got to hand them back in, sorry, <laughs> um, just because we need them for our table and we flew up. But I'll say this, we received no profit from our tools. We made that a fundamental decision about six years ago. Let's make this available. So we're going to give you some information. You can download the tools for free. We've invested heavily into a mobile app. All of our tools are in our mobile app, no, no charge, no cost. We really wanted to be a kingdom project. So uh, but we have books. We sell them at cost and everything. So, uh, so yeah. So I'll let you uh, share. So I remember earlier I was sharing with you the, the couple that when I originally decided, hey, I want to try to disciple somebody and they weren't able to do it. That was simply a curriculum that I handed to them. They had to do some study at home on their own. And then when we got together, guess what we discussed? What would we talk about? If I had given them the curriculum, they've been in the curriculum, what are we going to talk about when we get together? Just the curriculum. That was simply it. So it's a lot of, well, what did you put in the blank for number one? And what did you put in the blank for number two? And et cetera, et cetera. 
the way Steve designed the, the uh, exchange, which is one of the tools in the small circle family, is to not just be a curriculum, but to have multiple things. And he already, he already mentioned this a little bit. So like one of the things is the labs, and we're going to take the whole next session just to do some labs with you so you get to experience what labs are like. But basically, think about it this way. How often did Jesus get together with his guys and go, okay, guys, everybody sit down, open up your workbooks. What did you put in the blank for whatever? What? He never did that, right? What did he do? He'd be walking along, you go, hey, guys, look at the birds of the air there. Look at the lilies of the field. And he'd teach a lesson. Or, you know, he's out on the boat, he's sound asleep, and the big storm comes up. And it was just always utilizing whatever was happening in the moment as a real-life lab. And so... There's these labs that are a part of what we do. There's a journaling aspect uh, that, that's a part of what they do. There is some curriculum. There's Bible study that they're doing. There's the, there is a curriculum that they do. Now, in their very last session, we'll talk to you about the power of using our app, which, again, absolutely free. You can download it in the Play Store or the, uh, in the uh, App Store for uh, Apple products. It's absolutely free. And the beauty of using that is you are linked up to your disciple and so you already get to see all their answers before you even get there. So guess what? I don't have to do when I get together with my disciple. Talk about what did you put in the blank for number one? What did you put in the blank for number two? Because I already know what they put in the blank for all those things. So it's a very customizable conversation now that I'm able to have with the disciple. And I already know what questions they're going to have because I already know how they answered uh, all the different things that are there. Also, Steve has included in the, uh, in the whole curriculum some, some personality types of uh, studies and, and just different ways to just keep the conversation going. It is just a phenomenal uh, tool that, again, isn't just playing to the mind. It's also playing to the heart and the, the emotions um, as well. So you did get the uh, book handed out. I'll take one. If there's an extra. Okay, maybe not. That's all right. Uh, so if you want to look through, all right, so here's my one bone to pick with Steve. What does this book say? What, what is that number at the front there? Zero. zero. So he started his numbering with zero. So <laughs> this is the first book is book zero. And there is a reason for it. And it is a good reason. But <laughs> yeah, so I asked my disciples yesterday, uh, or my disciple who's now discipling somebody, I asked him, I said, where are you guys at? And he's like, oh, we're in book three. And I was like, do you mean two or do you mean three? And he's like, two. I said, okay, anyway. Uh, as you look through here, if you go to uh, page two and three, there is an overview of the, the whole guide of how this whole thing works. But let's turn to it'd be, uh, page eight for you, page eight. In both the print version and the app, there's actually two different things. This one says disciple maker, and that's probably how I'm guessing everybody got a disciple maker. Disciple maker, guess which one your disciple would get? The disciple. Disciple, right. right. There are things in your book and in your app that they don't get. And that's what you're seeing here on pages 8 and 9. The first thing there is your focus of the chapter. And this is, again, we call this the disciple maker's guide. And it's just going to walk you through how to do this particular lesson. So in other words, when your church implements small circle, you don't have to pull together the people, do a six-hour training on here's exactly how you do it, and they have to remember how am I going to disciple. No, every single lesson has a disciple maker's guide 
before it. So this is 0.1. So this is the first lesson, 0.1. There's a Disciple Maker's Guide, and it has a focus of the chapter. This is basically Steve saying, look, if they don't get anything else out of this particular lesson, make sure this is what they're doing and what they're saying. And that's what I do when I get together with my guys. The first thing I say to them after we have you know, chit-chat and prayer and how things going. So what'd you get out of this one? And I'm listening. Did they get this focus of the chapter? The word of advice, this is just, hey, here's where they're going to want a rabbit trail, get off. This keeps the disciple maker on track. Here's where you need to focus for this one. The lab, again, will take the whole next session just to go through the various labs that's that real-world experience that they're going to have. This particular one in, in 0.1 is just a picture of their family, and you're talking about relationship with dad because, you know, a lot of times our relationship with our earthly father is how we then see God as our heavenly father. So if your father abandoned you, you're going to think that God, our heavenly father, is going to abandon you. Or if your father always abused you, you're thinking that God's always mad at me. If you had a very loving father, then you're most likely to see. And so it's really talking about that. As Steve mentioned, man, some of my favorite things, going to the cemetery, uh, you, you can go to a funeral, to, you know, together, you can go to a, um, you know, there's various places that you go, there's various physical things that you do. Uh, I like the one where we have them drink vinegar and they don't know it, it's, it's water, or they think it's water, and it's the show that looked like water, but it actually wasn't good for you, was it? And sin is the same way. A lot of times, sin looks really good. I, I you know, always tell people, with, you know, sin isn't fun for you. You're not doing it right. You know, it's just, <laughs> sin is fun, but we need to be, you know, forgiven of that. And we need to turn from that. We need to repent of that. But yet it's so deceptive. So there's all kinds of labs that are in there. And so you go through things that you're going to pray for. There's always a thought-provoking question. And then this before moving on section. Before you move on, here's what you're going to want to Make sure that they understand that they're articulating back to you. And I'll give you an example real quick of one of my guys that, um, what is the one heart that's like 1.4 or something like that? 1.4 is about having a single heart, that you know, Jesus has all of you. And you ask this one question, it may even be the thought-provoking question, which is, what percentage of the time would you say your heart is divided? And all of us, let's be honest, all of us, you know, going to have that small percentage of the time that, that we still get messed up. But one of my guys looked at me and said, eh, probably about 60% of the time or so. And I'm like, you know, trying not to have my jaw hit the floor. you know. Type. And right away I realized we can't go on to 1.5 next time. we got to really camp out on this. This is a real heart issue we need to deal with. And so Steve always provides in here some recommended resources that if you get stuck... Here's a book you may want to read or some additional scriptures you may want to study together. And so it's all provided. So again, as a disciple maker, every lesson has its own sort of game plan of how to go about doing that. So if you look, so that was pages 8 and 9. Go up to page 16 and 17. There's another disciple maker's guide. Again, every single one has a disciple maker's guide attached to it. Um, if you turn back now, let's go to page 10 and 11. There's always an introduction. Now, this is something that you have as the disciple maker, and your disciple actually has this as well. This is sort of Steve's sort of theological teaching on the particular subject. And there's scriptures to read and, and just things to think about. And then as you flip over then to 12 and 13 and 14... 
This is then the actual work that your disciple is going to do, the worksheets. These are more of the quote-unquote the fill-in-the-blanks. But it's not just the simple one. These are a little more paragraph types of things. So it is going to take your disciple a little bit of time to go through these each, uh, each time that um, you, you meet every other week. So my guys say, you know, it's usually a couple of hours that it takes them to, to go through, and they're studying it. At the uh, back on 15, then, is the story. This is a journaling thing, and there's always a prompt for the story so that they can write things out. Some people will get into that. Some people don't. Again, the nice thing about this is it's so customizable that you learn your disciples' learning style, and you really play into that. And, and you do it. I think that's yeah, it. You're going to cover, so, cover the next thing. Yep. So just keep in mind that the goal of the tools, uh, the goals of the tools are for who? Yep. Soccer mom Sally. Everyday people. So that the purpose of the disciple maker guide is that uh, we didn't want to say, hey, there's going to be a disciple maker training at the church, you know, at 9 a.m. on Saturday give them the huge three-ring binder, uh, spend five hours with them, and then now they feel, they thought they were inadequate, now they feel really inadequate. Now they right? Yeah, because they can't remember. Remember, they only remember 10% of what they just read in their big fat notebook. So the, the idea behind the Disciple Maker Guide is to, was to give bite-sized pieces so that they could say, hey, I know what, it's almost like a coach right beside them saying, hey, here's what this is about. Um, the the labs that are in there they're they're always a secret they're always a surprise so the disciple uh, does not know at times where we're going to meet what we're going to do some of them are uh, like Gilbert said some of them are wacky crazy we're going to cover all, uh, all of those in our next session uh, but all of them are felt and their 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 experience okay so um, when we when I wrote uh, the uh, these tools. I was we were I was bivocational for the first six years of our church plant. Uh, at the time, we had a two and a three year old at home, um, and um, and we were just making it. And but we we really wanted the discipleship, so it took six years. It sounds impressive that it took six years, but that's only because we had fifty three thousand million layers trying to fly at the same time. After we had written them, we were using them for two or three years. I was asking people who were leading others to Christ, are, are these tools too heavy for a brand new believer? Because this is one of four books. Or when you see the, the mobile app, you'll see these four books, everything in the four books. And there's some things in the mobile app, not only uh, personally, but organizationally. It automatically gives your church metrics of, of exactly where everyone is. So we'll show that in our last session. But it also, like uh, Gilbert said, allows you to understand uh, where what your disciples already written and relationally. It's just it, it's um, it really makes a, a big difference. So at any rate, when we finished this and we were had run it for two or three years, we uh, I would kept asking, "Hey, uh, is this too much for a new believer?" The answer kept being yes. Think it's too much. It's just right off the shoot of a new believer. So I put together another tool. It's called Next. Uh, we've got five minutes. Let's pass it out real quick. So under Adobe, you've got Photoshop and Illustrator. So small yeah. circle is kind of like the equal to Adobe. And then within that, there are three tools. One of them is Next, one is Exchange, and another one is called Mix. 
that I wrote with uh, Jim Putman. Um, this must be different. Okay. So is everything that's on these two books on the app? Yes. And so with Exchange, again, there's four books. And so the, with this one, there's five, and that's all in the app. And more. Plus, more. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not only that, there is a... Uh, I meant to tell our last session. So... I'm going to give you probably some cards. I think uh, we're going to hand, up hand them out. Hand them out. Oh, you did? Nice. Yeah. Okay. So uh, with the mobile app, and we'll cover this again, um, uh, smallcircle.io. So you don't have to thumb type all the, the content. You go to That's the exact same thing as the mobile app. It's just a web app. So you can do it on your tablet, your laptop, et cetera, and then it links with the cloud to your phone. And if you go with to small circle, it's probably on what you got. That uh, does say smallcircle.com forward slash tools. You can download all of these for, for no cost at all. So we sell the books at cost. Uh, we have a table down there, but if not, you just want to download them for free, no problem at all. And we're, we're beginning to load our other languages in case you have multilingual environments. So we have many other languages that. About 20 languages that we're in as well. If you want to take a look real quick at Next, if you look at page 8, look at page 8 and Next, just to give you a scope, it's intended to be simple. And so uh, 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 topics like your new identity, page 10, how to begin to read the Bible, page uh, 12, uh, how to begin to pray, uh, baptism, Holy Spirit, very basic uh, temptation, etc. So these are just new spoon-fed basics that we're feeding. But what happens along the way is that you're also building the relationship with the disciple. So for me, um, I'll give my my story uh, here in just two minutes. I I was studying um, uh, piano in Austin and uh, came to Christ after a three-year search. Uh, the past, the church I was in was uh, quite multi-ethnic. It was uh, the pastor was from India. Many people from India. There were people from the Caribbean islands, etc. And um, after I came to Christ, I'm, I was invited to move into the pastor's apartment building. I was the only person not from India, so I developed a just a great love for uh, Indian curry, especially on a Boston winter night. You could smell three three blocks away. It was amazing. And uh, once a week, he would invite me up to his apartment flat, he and his wife and his two small children, and uh, have dinner, and then we'd go in the study. That study, for me, it wasn't about what we were studying. It was about me being able to say, you know, Titus, that was his name, Titus, um, man, I'm praying and that is not going well. I run out of stuff to say after two minutes, and so I, I wonder if this thing is real. It's real, Steve. It, this is this, this is the norm. Titus, I'm trying to read the Bible, man. I started at the beginning. I'm at Leviticus. <laughs> Am I saying that right, by the way? That's not a word I use every day. I get it, Steve. Let me tell you a few other places to go first. Okay. Titus, I sinned last night. And I didn't think that happened. I thought, man, I, now I'm a Christian. It became a safe place. It wasn't about the tools. So we're, we're showing you the tools, but in the next session, you'll see how we use the tools to get to, the, to that small circle that we're designed to be. But I don't want you to walk out of, man, this curriculum is fantastic. It's not about the curriculum. It's designed customized. It's designed to do some things that I think 
a lot of group tools don't. Uh, to complement the, the many fantastic group tools that are out there, but it's designed to, for you to look eye to eye with somebody at a table for two and move into a relationship that uh, would be life-changing. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to let everybody go. We'll take questions. We'll hang out. That message was from the organization called Small Circle, and this is the Disciple Makers Podcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening today.